more seismic shifts for college conferences, the arrival of name, image, and likeness deals for college athletes, and on the field, we're a month away from the start of the new football season. All that and much more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 53 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as he does always uh, every episode, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. David, how are you, sir? I'm well, Mike. Good afternoon. Yeah, good to talk to you. We're back from our summer vacations, and uh, before we get into all, all, all the news that there is in, in college athletics, David, let's talk a little bit about how we've spent some of our summers. Now, I took a couple of trips. I, I went up to the beach at Cape Cod, where my parents have retired. I took the family on on a fun trip to the Outer Banks. But I got to be honest, seeing the pictures from your vacation, I was extremely jealous. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your your Western swing? I, I will, but 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 first of all, Mike, our our listeners are going to want to know because w- when we left off. You were about to take Evan on a plane for the first time, and you were a little worried. How did that work out? He was an all-star. Much better. He did much better with all of it than I did. and tons of credit, of course, to my wife, who uh, we actually brought the car seat on the plane, strapped him in. Oh, wow. Uh, he, yeah, he had his screens. He had his snacks. Uh, he couldn't be happier. He looked out the window. He um, he was great. He was great on the way there. He was great on the way back. And um, he was pretty good on vacation, too. We were worried about, you know, the sleep schedule. And um, mm-hmm. we ended up being roommates. So Ev- Evan and I were in one room. Uh, my daughter and my wife were in the other room. Uh, so it meant early bedtime for me. I was I was in bed every night uh, by 830. But uh, it was great. And, and the travel was great. And the um, you know our experience with the airlines was really good. Knock on wood, we didn't deal with any flight delays. And I know a lot of people dealt with that. So uh, no, we had two two really good experiences flying there and back. And um, the only thing that, that he struggled with on the whole trip is he's not a fan of elevators. When we get in the elevator and the doors start to close, um, he and I know people always laugh when you equate your, your kids and your dogs, but my first dog was the same way. It was like the doors are closing and are we going to be trapped in here forever? Uh, so we stayed in a hotel in Boston and he, and he struggled with that. But other than that, uh, he was an all-star. Awesome. Glad to hear. And props to Elizabeth for yeah. make, making sure it uh, it all happened. We, we also were very lucky. All our flights, seamless, no, no delays or hiccups. So that was very nice. And yeah, we had a great trip to Colorado and Wyoming and Idaho and Nevada and Utah and did a lot of hiking. Uh, saw some incredible places such as Garden of the Gods and Grand Teton National Park and Craters of the Moon. Caught a Rockies game. Caught a Salt Lake Bees game, where where we actually, you know, unbeknownst to us, we're just going to the game, and lo lo and behold, there's Matt Thice, <laughs> the former UVA catcher playing first base. There's Joe McCarthy, the former UVA outfielder, as a designated hitter. It was pretty. Pretty cool to see two former Cavaliers playing. Um, our only hiccup was an unscheduled trip, as they all mm. are, actually, yeah. uh, to the emergency room in Fort Collins, Colorado, 
in the middle of the night, but Tiny Teal rallied nicely and we were in and out of there in a few hours. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a tremendous turnaround because uh, that that can sink a vacation. And uh, very happy to see that <laughs> she bounced back because her picture, the pictures, it looks like she just had a blast. Now you know what I want to ask you about that the thing that stood out to me. Uh, how fast did you drive on the salt flats when you were out there for that? The the, the Bonneville salt flats. <clears throat> it it's an amazing place. I mean, it's just this ocean of white and it's it, it's an optical illusion a mirage you, you can't even tell how far it goes and we we drove out there and there were other people you know making their world land speed records <laughs> and i got up to a buck seven but, but before i tapped out and uh that was that was fine the girl the girls were fine with that and the Bonneville soft lights, I mean, I put my finger down and scraped it and then licked my finger. Jill was freaking out. What do you do? But it is. It's salt. Yeah. And it's it's wild. We really enjoyed that. That sounds amazing. Now, is there a, this may be a stupid question, is there a speed limit out there? Or can, is it just kind of an unwritten rule? You can do whatever you want? No, you just, it, it's completely ungoverned. <laughs> It sounds amazing. I was interested. You know, I was curious if Jill and Tiny Teal were in the car for that. I, I meant oh, yeah. to ask you when I saw you. Uh, were they completely on board? Were they saying go faster? Were they saying hit the brakes? What was there? Oh, no. Laura was like, Daddy, go faster. <laughs> and and J- Jill's taking the video of, of the uh, speedometer to, uh, to chronicle it all. But uh, they were fine. I'm very glad that that was Jill taking the the video and not you multitasking at that speed. Although I guess there's not much out there. So you're pretty safe. (laughs) What, uh, how about now we're back? Um, David, do you get caught up at all in in the Olympics? Obviously it's, it's such an amazing worldwide event. You know, we have the big news today with uh, Simone Biles uh, dropping out of the team competition, at least on the gymnastics side. We've seen some amazing uh, performances from UVA swimmers uh, over there in the pool in, in, in Tokyo. Are, are you a Olympic guy? Does this get your, your juices going? Yeah, I, I enjoy the Olympics. I miss the crowds. Yeah. And, and I'm sure the athletes really do because they add so much to, to, to the atmosphere and spectacle of the Olympics. You know, the, 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 the time difference, the 13 hour time difference is kind of a drag. Cause you know, you're trying to do your day job, you're trying to be a parent. So it's not like you can pay attention to it. At least I can't during the day. I don't have the TV on trying to get other things done, but certainly at night we are checking it out. Yeah. And my daughter's enjoyed, uh, she did a, you know, a little kid's beginner kind of gymnastics class and, um, she turned on the TV and she saw the, the balance beam and the bars. And she said, Oh, I do that. I've, I've done that. And then the mm-hmm. athletes got up there and she said, Oh, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I said, sweetheart, that would take years and years of practice before we even try that. But yes, they are using the same general equipment that, that you were in, in your tiny tumbling, uh, gymnasium here. Yeah. Laura's summer camp had an ingenious idea. It's, it's Olympics week at summer camp and Laura's on team Australia. And they even had an opening ceremonies yesterday where they, they played the national anthems of all the different countries that they had give that they had assigned each, each of the groups of the young people. It was pretty cool. That is. And you know, one of the things as I've gotten older, I think I appreciate 
Olympics, I appreciate Olympic athletes who aren't necessarily American, right? I remember growing yes. up and I, you, 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 you rooted for your country and, and I still do and you, you root for Team USA, but you, you sort of never got caught up or at least I didn't in these stories. And, and as I've gotten older, you realize every Olympic team has these amazing stories and these driven athletes and these people who've overcome something. And I actually enjoy the Olympics now more as I'm older because I'm, I'm less uh, U.S. centric. I'm less worried about Team USA and, and I'm more marveling at just, I mean, these are the best athletes in the world. Well, I'm, I'm going to forget her name, but the Australian woman who, who beat Katie Ledecky the Timmis. other night yeah. in, in, in the pool. Yeah, Timmis, what an incredible finish that was. Yeah, great race. And they had done the the feature, at least NBC, whatever of their million channels I was watching, had done a feature on how driven she was um, to kind of reach and, and surpass Ledecky. So, um, you know, the buildup was there. And then how great are those videos that have gone viral of her coach just absolutely yeah. losing his mind during that event? Um, you know, it, it reminds you just how much these athletes, these coaches, and these teams put into this. Yeah, it's it, it's a want, and, and and that's the heck of it. My, we, we mentioned earlier not having spectators there, and, and how much that takes away from it. Because th- th- this isn't an annual occurrence for these athletes. This is once every four years. I mean, chances are this is your only chance at the Olympics, and to think that you're doing it in an empty venue that. I feel badly for them. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's once in a lifetime, although we've certainly seen athletes and, and I know there was a gymnast there who, who this is like her eighth Olympics, right. which is just mind boggling. Um, but you're right. It, it is, it is such an accomplishment just to be there. And David, how great was the video of um, the, the, the high school in, in Alaska, Alaska, right. As uh the American uh, was winning that race, 17-year-old, the first uh, Olympic champion from Alaska. And Roddy Gaines, the announcer, said that the state of Alaska, there's only one 15-meter pool in the entire state, uh, and now they have an Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, pretty awesome. And, and you mentioned Roddy Gaines. Dan Hicks and Rowdy Gaines on Olympic swimming, that is, that is exceptional television. Yeah, they're really great. And that's another one that, and again, there are people obviously who are into swimming uh, year round, you know, every year. But, but for me, it's like coming in every four years, man, I, I'd like to see more of, of those guys. Um, maybe I should be watching swimming uh, as we go into the non-Olympic years as well, because they are, they're as good as it gets on TV. Yeah, they really are. All right, David, let's get, let's get to the college football talk. Our alleged area of expertise and uh, <laughs> there's no shortage of topics. Uh, we'll get to our time at, at ACC media days in Charlotte, the preseason poll and, and so much of that, but let, let's start with the big national story, Texas and Oklahoma, right? Two of the biggest names in college football, two of the biggest programs out there. They're leaving the big 12. They're joining the sec. Now, exactly when it is maybe unclear that the Longhorns horns and the Sooners, they're saying they're going to fulfill their contractual obligations to the Big 12. Uh, that might just be what their lawyers are telling them to say at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think a bigger question, especially here in ACC country, David, is this the tip of the iceberg, another you know, wave of college realignment, or, or was that the iceberg? You know, Is Oklahoma, Texas going to the SEC, is that the headline and the story, and maybe not else coming down the pipe right now? Big fat to be determined. I mean, it's it's really difficult, Mike, to, to to see what happens now. Clearly, the Big Twelve has to react 
in in some way. I, I, I can't see that league just proceeding with its current, well, currently it's 10 members. When Texas and Oklahoma leave, they'll be back to what it was originally yeah. called, the, the Big Eight. But Texas and Oklahoma meant so much to the, to their media rights. I, I have to believe that if the Big 12 dreams of surviving, that it is going to have to expand in some way. Now, maybe it doesn't survive, and maybe its current or its leftover eight go elsewhere, in which case, you know, d- does the ACC act? And, you know, I, I don't, I hope no one panics and makes short term decisions that they might regret in the long term, but you, you never know with, with, with realignment. Uh, Jim Phillips, the the new ACC commissioner, texted me Saturday night and just said, "You promised me a longer honeymoon than this." <laughs> so, what's better for for college football? What's better for college athletics if the Big Twelve, I don't know, goes out and, and raids some teams from the American wherever and, and builds itself back up? If the Big Twelve essentially dissolves and and those teams are incorporated uh, other places? If this pushes us to the you know you know, maybe three super conferences. What, what do you think is the best outcome long-term for college football? Well, Mike, and at the risk of, of sounding like a, a cranky old man, which I <laughs> often am, none of this is good for college athletics. None of it. The SEC, Texas, and Oklahoma already have plenty of power and plenty of money. But no, they had to have more. And so now th- th- this comes down the pike. And oh, by the way, what kind of poker face must Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, have to have, A, sat in those meetings of which he was an integral part about college football playoff expansion and publicly saying, oh, you know, this was the SEC being magnanimous because the four-team playoff has worked fine for us. We really didn't want to expand. Knowing that this was coming, I mean... How disingenuous can you be? And then, you know, Tuesday night in Charlotte, right before the ACC kickoff, the ACC held a a retirement party for John Swafford. There was hundreds of administrators there. Greg Sankey was there and he knew this was coming. And, you know, there he is among his colleagues, you know, having a cocktail and making like, everything's great. Uh, I don't know what would be best in the long term regarding the, the Big 12. I, I, I'd hate for it to splinter in one sense because I could see a splintering where, because as we know, and as Jim Phillips has reminded us, football eats first, right? right? So it, it's all about football. Well, Kansas football stinks. Kansas football <laughs> is irrelevant. Kansas basketball? Hello? You know, what happens to Kansas basketball in all this? If, if the Jayhawks somehow get left out of some kind of power five realignment because they're not very good at football, uh, I, I don't know what the, 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 the best end game is here. I wish I was smart enough to, to put it all together. And as for the ACC, you know, you can go through all kinds of schools, you know, let's go get Penn State and Maryland from, from the right. Big Ten. That would make the most geographic sense. But are they going to give up 
Big Ten money? Find that almost impossible uh, to, to imagine. And you know, what about West Virginia? Well, West Virginia doesn't really move the needle television-wise, according to people that I talk to. But Cincinnati and the Ohio market, I don't know. The Bearcats have it going in football. You know, if you want just eyeballs to fuel subscriptions, especially streaming subscriptions to the ACC network, what's one of the largest schools in the country that I think would gladly join the ACC? UCF, Central Florida. That's a student body of more than 60,000 people. So they're cranking out like 15,000 alums (laughs) annually. I mean, there are many ACC schools that don't have 15,000 students (laughs) in them. So there's... There's so many moving parts here, Mike. And like like I said earlier, I just hope no one panics to make a knee-jerk reaction uh, without doing a real deep dive on long-term implications. You mentioned West Virginia there, and I, I want to follow up with that because sure. that was sort of the immediate thought was, okay, the ACC should go grab West Virginia. Um, now, my first reaction was, why does the ACC want to split its money with any more schools? Why does the ACC want to add anyone? So first, David, does the ACC right now, now understanding this Texas-Oklahoma could be a domino, right, That, that as you're talking about, it mm-hmm. sends other teams other places, and all of a sudden it creates uh, a need, and, and, and you need uh, more members, or schools need a place to go, and they bring something to the table. But does the ACC need more schools in it right now? Only if they make good business sense, Mike. He, and I, I'll, I'll try to be as, as basic as I can with the math. Right now, the average distribution that the ACC gives its 14 full members, and we'll get to that part-time member. I can't believe we've been talking about this <laughs> I'm for how saving many minutes. And, and ND hasn't been mentioned, <laughs> but we'll get to them. But right now, the average distribution is $32.4 million. So any expansion candidate would have to bring at least that much more in additional television value just to keep the membership whole at at its current distribution. To even increase that by a mere $1 million, which would be, you know, 3%, that's about as modest an increase as it gets. That new member would have to bring in upwards of 47 to 50 million new dollars annually. Which brings me to the next question as you read my mind. David, who could you think of that brings $50 million (laughs) in revenue uh, minimum to the table if they join your league? I can't think of many schools out there that do that, but there is certainly one and they have a connection to the ACC. You mean the the, the one that's a (laughs) part-time member? Yeah. Yes. Notre Dame. I mean, here we go again. And little did Jim Phillips know, little did any of us know, that at his forum at the ACC kickoff on Wednesday, when Luke DeCock, our good friend from the Raleigh News and Observer, you know, asked the pre, you know, the, the requisite Notre Dame question, it, it must be asked at every media op that the ACC conducts. And Jim Phillips very openly said, our interest in Notre Dame football is less than bashful, always has been, always will be. And oh, by the way, didn't we both have a great experience in 2020 when pandemic aside, the Irish joined because of the pandemic, but 
you know, went undefeated through the regular season, beat Clemson in an epic regular season overtime game, went to the ACC championship game. Oh, by the way, made the college football playoff because of that ACC membership. So you go, you go through all that. And then literally hours later, the news about Texas and Oklahoma breaks. Mike, there's only two ways that I can see Notre Dame foregoing its independence. Number one, if the university determined that its playoff access was compromised by independence. And if this 12-team playoff format model is approved in September by the 11 presidents who, who formed the management team of the CFP, the Irish are more entrenched than ever as an independent. They, they, they just are. Now, as you well know from having been in Charlotte at the ACC kickoff, it's not like everyone is embracing this model wholeheartedly and saying, yeah, let's do it. They're, they're, they're just not. There are a lot of questions yet to be answered. And I found it interesting that one of the biggest naysayers, even though he thinks it's inevitable, is Dabo Sweeney, yeah. the Clemson coach carries a little clout in college football. And who is the ACC's presidential representative on the college football playoff management group? Jim Clemens, the Clemson president. So I've, I find that interesting. Yeah, you know, it's it's a fascinating topic and it can go in so many directions. I'm with you, I think, in, in your line of thinking. If the 12-team playoff becomes a reality, I don't think Notre Dame ever joins the ACC. Um, to me, th- there's plenty of access. If they go to eight, I don't know that the only if there was by some chance that there's a new contract for another cycle uh, with the four year playoff, maybe that nudges Notre Dame. But um, the fact that these things are happening at the same time and that expansion seems to be on the horizon. The only thing that's really missing for Notre Dame is access An expanded playoff gives them that. um, I just don't I don't see it happening. And and that's why I think ultimately, you know, that's not an option for the ACC. Let's quickly wrap up with this. One thing I learned, I went to Rutgers. I'm, I'm a Rutgers alum. Rutgers moved to the Big Ten. And I heard a lot of jokes about, you know, oh, why does the Big Ten think Rutgers brings the New York television market? N- nobody cares. And what I've realized in the years since, while that is certainly partially true, <laughs> um, it's the fact that the Big Ten network, that Big Ten games are on more TVs in the New York area. It's not about, I want to watch Rutgers. It's about Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, having a bigger foothold in that market because they're on more. They're talked about more. They're more relevant uh, in the media with fans. And that's where I wonder about uh, ACC expansion with Cincinnati, with Mm -hmm. Houston, with these big markets, great areas that, yeah, maybe those aren't the prime team in the state, but it gets your foot in the door. I think that brings value to the ACC network, which in turn brings value to the ACC. It could. And that's what the the deep dive will hopefully uncover for Jim Phillips and his staff and and his presidents. And don't all, you know, don't forget recruiting, recruiting in Ohio and Texas. (laughs) Not bad. That, that, that would, that would help as well. And, and, and just to go back to Notre Dame for a second, I mentioned that there were two ways that I could see Notre Dame being nudged toward ACC membership. One, the, the, the playoff access and two, if somehow in whatever form the new conference landscape becomes, if conferences start to play so many league games right. beyond what they do now, 
that it limits Notre Dame's ability to schedule as an independent. Which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, and if you take those dates off the calendar, Bronco Mendenhall's talked about this from his time at BYU. Uh, it puts you in a bind. And yeah, and then suddenly the conference has more value. Well, I'll tell you, I've had the solution since I was in college. I've said for good gosh, I guess now it's decades. How old have I gotten? They ought to just take football out of the equation and, and let football leagues, let football conferences be independent of what the other sports do. So, you know, you talked about Kansas basketball. Let the traditional leagues stay. Let them stay for baseball, for softball. They make more sense for travel, for your budget, for for all of that. And then let football do what it wants to do because, let's be honest, football's basically a separate entity at this point anyway. Um, It gets dicey, I understand, with splitting up the revenue. But I think long-term, that is the solution, certainly in a scheduling standpoint, that's going to make the most sense is divide up how you will pay your member institutions out how you will and let everybody else and all the other sports kind of go back to the geographic rivalries and, and those things that, that we love. And it's complicated. And I think it's one of those things where there's, there's no going back or too far down the road. But to me, that's, that's the simplest fix. Yeah. And <laughs> seeing conferences condense rather than, than yeah. expand and, and become more geographically sensible. I've, I've heard that plea made by administrators mike not only at the power five level but but below and you know there's so many division one schools here in in the commonwealth that play in so many Hmm. different conferences and wouldn't it make so much more sense if especially at the olympic sports level they all bonded together and banded together and played one another. Played each other and, and not have ODU going out to El Paso oh, for, no, for no. regular season. It just right. it, it just makes no sense. But no. well, however it shakes out long term for 2021, we know the <laughs> ACC is going to have 14 members playing football. That we know them, we love them. Uh, they'll be back in that familiar two division format: the Atlantic, uh, also known as property of Clemson, uh, and the Coastal, known for Coastal Chaos. Let's start there with, with the chaos. Let's start in the coastal. North Carolina, Sam Howell, they're, they're a big favorite. You've got Miami with Derek King obviously coming back and, and, and a real uh, chance maybe to, to vie for the title. And then it's kind of a cluster of teams that could go either way, anyway. Virginia Tech checked in at three in the preseason poll, UVA at five. David, what do you make of the coastal? Is it Carolinas for the taking or is it wide open again? Well, I think it's always wide open, Mike. You, what, as everyone knows, seven different champions in the last seven seasons that they've played in divisions. Obviously, they did not in in, in 2020. And as Bronco Mendenhall is fond of reminding folks, <laughs> the Cavaliers are the reigning coastal division champions from, from 2019. Uh, when they went to the t- to the ACC title game and and then on to the Orange Bowl, but yeah, I I think Carolina merits um, being picked first in the preseason poll. The the way the poll shook out, it was exactly as I had it, except I had UVA Pitt four five. Yep, same it came point. out as Pitt UVA four five. So that was that that was the only. Uh, difference in in my vote yeah yeah i I had the same thing in 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 my uh poll when i submitted it and and and, you know i I think uva is fascinating this year david because and i'm doing a story today on brennan armstrong we're going to talk more about the quarterbacks here in a little bit but they look to me like a team that could be really really good 
or really, really not. And a lot of it centers around Armstrong and how big a stride he takes. To me, he's a little bit... Um, they're the wild card, I think. I think Virginia is a wild card. I think Virginia Tech, to an extent, is too. I think when you get away from Carolina and maybe Miami, there are yeah. a bunch of teams that if they finished last or they finished third, neither outcome would stun me. I think Duke's going to finish last. <laughs> I just, I, I find it hard to imagine that the, the Blue Devils coming off the kind of season they had and just, just given the where they are from a, from a talent standpoint and where the rest of the division is. But no, I, I, I get your point. I think any, the only two teams that I can't see winning the coastal are Georgia tech and Duke. which now means they're going to finish one and two in the league. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. No, I'm with you. And, and Duke is, and again, we'll get into this in a little bit, but Duke's the only team not returning uh, a quarterback with starting experience. It's a really deep group there. And, um, it's going to be an interesting year in the coastal. I really do believe that. And I'm super, and you know, we've talked about this before on the pod, but uh, tech starting with North Carolina, uh, UVA getting them, I think, what is it? Week three, we're mm-hmm. going to have a really good sense of yes. where these teams are uh, pretty quickly here in September. It's, it's not going to take long for us to know what we've got on our hands. How about flipping over to the Atlantic and, and, Again, of course, that that figures to be Clemson's for the taking. The Tigers are stacked, especially on defense, uh, but they do need to retool offensively. David, is is Clemson going to be Clemson again this year? Yes, <laughs> I think they might even be better. Wow, how crazy is that? Just because I think they're going to be so good on defense. Yeah, and 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 they were vulnerable last year. They they were not <clears throat> Brent Venable's caliber. That. Everyone has come to, to expect Venables now being the, the country's highest paid defensive coordinator, I believe, with his, his new contract. But and, and worth every penny north of, of two million that, that, that he makes. But I think they're going to be so, so good defensively. Uh, you hear great things about Will Shipley, the, the, mm-hmm. the freshman running back who, who could very well replace Travis Etienne. I was reading our friend Grace Rayner in the Athletic the other day. Justin Ross is is wowing his teammates as he returns from a year on the sideline with with a spinal uh, condition. And David, and what's their what's their quarterback's name? DJ Uyunglele. Oh, he's so good at that. Yes, and he's <laughs> he's better at quarterback than I am at saying his name. That's and high I, praise. Yes. <laughs> And I, I think he's going to be – is he going to be Trevor Lawrence? No. But I, I believe eventually he will be a, a very special player at Clemson. Yeah, that, that, that Clemson defense, you're right, is stacked. But I'm intrigued by NC State and their defense. I think they've got a ton of pieces, particularly when it comes to stopping the, the run. I don't know that they unseat Clemson, but I think they could be maybe one of these dark horses. And that kind of brings us nicely to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. It is take it or leave it. Now, Clemson in the Atlantic and North Carolina in the Coastal are pretty sizable preseason favorites. But take it or leave it, both favorites will win their divisions this season. Let's start with David. I will take it because that, that's who I picked. And uh, I, I can certainly see it playing out that way. A lot of people worry about the, the, the Tar Heels replacing all that 
production at, at running back and, and wide receiver, um, but but they've got wide receivers in the program. They've got Ty Chandler, the, the transfer running back, who I think will, will plug in just fine nicely. They've got a quality offensive line. They've got the best quarterback in the league in Sam Howell, a very good coordinator in, in Phil Longo, but Mike referenced NC State earlier. Yeah, I think NC State's a, a great dark horse, and the Wolfpack gets Clemson at home mm-hmm. er, early in the season. You know, if the Wolfpack sprang an upset, could they then run the table the rest of the way in, in the league and, and, and fend off the Tigers? I doubt it, but, you know, hey, I've been stunned before. It's a pretty sizable take it from uh, David. Mike, take it or leave it. I'm going to leave it, and I'm going to leave it because of – um, it's kind of like playing a poker hand and how many outs do you have? How many ways to win? I think Clemson with the rebuilt offense and NC State with that defense, there's vulnerability there. I'm not predicting it to happen, but I think there's vulnerability there. And then I look at the coastal and I say predicting the coastal is impossible. It's a fool's errand. It never works. So I'm going to take it on. I'm going to leave it on the basis that I'd be stunned if the favorite wins the coastal. But even if they do, I think I've got an out with Clemson possibly being tripped up in the Atlantic. It's part of the reason I'm so excited for this football season. Um, I don't know that we know what to expect. I think teams are going to be dramatically improved and or different than what we saw a year ago because of the practice, the spring, the fall. Um, So I'm going to leave it. I I think somewhere along the way, there's going to be some upsets. And um, I I think the Coastal is going to reveal that um, maybe it doesn't have a great team, but it's got a bunch of good ones. And and I think that that one really is anybody's for the taking. Now, part of the the reason is quarterbacks. (laughs) Every team, as we mentioned, other than Duke, brings back an experienced quarterback in the ACC. Now, some like Sam Howell at UNC, Kenny Pickett uh, at Pitt, they're very well established, right? Three, four year starters. Some like Clemson's newest potential star are, are expected to be great. We saw flashes of that. And then we've got some that that maybe are, are wild cards that take a, a wait and see approach. And, and that group probably is led by Brennan Armstrong at UVA, uh, Braxton Burmeister at Virginia Tech, uh, Jeff Sims, the quarterback back at Georgia Tech. What do we think, though, David, about the two Virginia schools, their quarterbacks, their guys behind center, Armstrong, Burmeister? Uh, what do you think about them going into this season? Very intrigued by by both, Mike. And Justin Fuente, the Hokies coach, said something that really struck me in Charlotte last week. And this is not a d- direct quote, just paraphrasing. But he said this, the coaching staff has never felt better about the passing game during their time at Virginia Tech than they do right now. I was like, okay. That's you know, not, not that the Hokies have been lighting it up throwing the football during during the Fuente era in, in Blacksburg. You know, they were pretty good with, with Gerard Evans chucking it to – uh, to Isaiah Ford and, uh, and and company back there in, in, in 2016, they really liked Burmeister a whole lot. And at the end of the season, he certainly w- looked the part. Now, can he sustain that? Can he stay healthy? Uh, that's that that's those to me are, are the interesting questions with him. And then with, with, with Armstrong is can he just continue to progress? from from what we saw last year, A, 
and B, can Virginia get him some help with the traditional run game mm. to take some of that off his plate? I feel like we've been hearing that for years at UVA. Can they right. get that traditional? It, really since Jordan Ellis, right? Jordan Ellis was kind of that thousand yard battering ram, hand him the ball 30 times a game. Um you know, really since then, they haven't had that element and they've gotten it certainly from, from Bryce Perkins, from Brendan Armstrong. But um, ideally, Brendan Armstrong's plays with his legs uh, are opportunistic. They're not the design. They're not what you're going to every time. And um, yeah, they've got to get away from that. You know, Armstrong told me something interesting. I started to ask him the question and the question was going to be, hey, do you feel pressure? Because how Virginia does this year basically comes down in many ways to how well you play. And I was maybe three words into the question and Brennan looked at me and knew exactly where I was going. And he said, we're only going to be as good as I play. Yeah, I know that. And he said it reminds him of being back in Shelby, Ohio in high school when he was a pitcher, star left-hand pitcher for his team, uh, the Whippets, the Shelby Whippets. And, and, And he said, you know, I knew when I took the ball and I went to the mound, if I didn't pitch well, we probably weren't going to win. That's high school baseball, right? You get a bad start, you're probably out of the game. Uh, He said he feels similar to that this year. He knows he needs to play well for this team to be successful, but that wasn't said with any apprehension. It wasn't said with any nerves or backpedaling. He was said it excitedly because he thinks he's going to play really well. He thinks that he learned by fire, that that he's learned from his mistakes, and uh, he's really excited to be that guy. And and you know that's good news for Virginia. And then Burmeister, David, you'll remember this, but a year ago the Virginia Tech coaches were extremely high on Braxton Burmeister, mm-hmm. extremely high on the possibility that he would beat out Hendon Hooker to be the starting quarterback. And then what happened? A 300-something pound lineman stepped on his foot in a drill, that broke his, his foot, um, and that really set him out, set him back. Um, but, you know, they have a high degree of confidence in his skill set, in how he fits. Um, and we saw it. We saw it at the end of the year when things certainly went bizarre and sidewise with, sideways with the relationship with Hooker and uh, Burmeister came in and, and, and finished off the season. Um so I think there's reason to believe that that isn't a question mark for Virginia Tech this year. You pointed out to me what is the biggest question mark is who's behind Braxton Burmeister. And they're in a lot there and, and there's no experience there. And that that really makes you nervous uh, in this era of college football. And, and David, I think that's the story of Virginia Tech football going into 2021 is not just quarterback, but it's depth everywhere. Because yeah. if you tell me, Hey, their 22 starters on offense and defense are going to, for the most part, you know, I'm not talking about missing a series. They're going to avoid major injuries and those guys are going to play all year. I think Virginia Tech can contend for the coastal. If you tell me they might lose an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman or gasp their quarterback, mm-hmm. I think this team could be in a lot of trouble. Or a linebacker. Oh, yeah. There's just not depth, there's not experience. Now, there may be talent. But it and back in the spring, Justin Fuente expressed this same concern. So it's been on their minds of how are we going to develop some depth? And and you've seen just this week they added a, a reserve offensive lineman, a junior yep. college transfer. So they're trying to address it as best they can. But health will be a huge issue and storyline to watch all year for Virginia Tech. No doubt. And you know, you, you mentioned the backup quarterback situation, and Justin Fuente said. Yeah, we were a little encouraged by what we saw from from Knox Kadem in in the in the Clemson game there in, in in very limited action. But you know he's still got a long ways to go, and this is a big training camp for him. 
Yeah, if he's going to be a, a viable option, which frankly he has to be, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> we've been doing this for a while. When was the last time we saw a team go through an entire season without you know their quarterback coming out at, at any point for any key stretch? I'm not talking about garbage time. I mean, even some really durable guys and guys who played hurt, like Kurt Bankert uh, at UVA. I remember you know him playing with all sorts of shoulder and, and other issues. But I mean, he missed a series here or there in key spots and. Uh, you just you need that second guy to get through, and it's why quarterback is so important, and it kind of brings us nicely to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. Sam Howell was the preseason choice for first-team quarterback and ACC Player of the Year. If another quarterback overtakes him this season, who will it be? Who you got? Start with Mike. So I'm going to go, and, and I know there's questions out here, but Mackenzie Milton at Florida State, when last we saw him, right? Like they used to old say in the old serial radio and TV shows, when we left our hero, when we last left our hero, he was the most dynamic player in college football at UCF. I mean, he was a highlight machine. Uh, he was a Heisman candidate. And then the injury and everything he's been through certainly well documented. But Florida State doesn't have a shortage of talent and speed. They never do. Um, and now they have this quarterback who, if he can get back to that form, um, I think people maybe are, and for good reason with the injury, but I think people are maybe sleeping on him there. So it would not stun me if he has a bounce back season kind of for the ages, if that propels Florida State uh, to being far better than, than maybe we're expecting. Um, and if he isn't the guy who ultimately unseats Sam Howell, which I think will be hard to do because I think Howell is fantastic, uh, but he's certainly my guy to watch. Thank you, Mike. David? That's a, that's a great pick, Mike. I was going to mention Milton earlier and he was he was so impressive at, at the kickoff in in charlotte and you wish him all the best given that you know it was such a gruesome mm-hmm. leg injury that, that he had and, and the fact that it's taken him so long to to get back but yeah i mean i agree with you if if, if he's big the, the the seminoles could be a lot better than expected but i'm gonna stick with my guy Uyunglele, because, for for two reasons He's the quarterback, and he plays for the best team in the league. And oftentimes, that's who your player of the year is. If anyone is going to unseat Sam Howell, who, by the way, would be the first North Carolina player to win that award since Lawrence Taylor in 1980. That's a a long, long time ago. He was a pretty decent college player and went on to do some, some pretty good things at the pro level, didn't he? Yeah, last I checked. Revolutionized the linebacker position. It's going to be a really exciting and interesting year. And, you know, we went through that whole thing and didn't talk much about Kenny Pickett, uh, mm-hmm. who's had such an amazing career at Pittsburgh and decided to come back. Um, we didn't really get deep into Derek King at Derek Miami. King, yeah. um, and I think Devin Leary at NC State, before his injury, there, there was a stretch in that Virginia game where he looked like he was just um, – you know, carving people up. Uh, Phil Jerkovic at Boston College, that offense has been redesigned to be exactly what he fits in, um, this high-flying passing offense. I mean, there are so many names, and it's just it's just another reason, David, that we're so excited, I think, to get this year kicked off. Yeah, r- really. I mean, you, you, just, you just hope, Mike, that the virus doesn't play too much havoc. It's it's going to disrupt the season. I, the, the 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 more breakthrough infections that we see, you you just 
at least I do, you have this gnawing sense that it's not going to be as seamless as we would hope. Yeah, I think the idea that it's behind us is, is naive. Uh, we just saw that with Frank Reich in the NFL, um, who's a vaccinated NFL head coach, uh, tested positive. You know, you can still contract the virus, you can still spread the virus, and uh, you know this will be for a, a later episode. But we are anticipating at some point the report from that ACC uh, medical group, uh, and with those recommendations, decisions from uh, the conference on how is it going to be handled this mm-hmm. season if. You know, a team can't play. A year ago, I think you and I were both on board with the fact that a forfeit is just harsh. We, we, nobody knew what we were up against and, and how to handle it. But now that we have the vaccine and now that we have uh, ways to make sure that your team is healthy enough and safe enough to take it to the field, uh, you know, will teams be told, hey, if you can't get on the field because of COVID-19, you're forfeiting. UVA coach Bronco Mendenhall was very outspoken. He thought they should have been forfeits last year. Last he thinks year. they should be forfeits this year. David, that's going to be an interesting decision when that comes down. It will be, and I think that will be the decision, Mike, eventually. I think the only uh, potential wild card here is if, because of the variants, we see a wave of infections nationwide, and it, it really gets worrisome again and and, and not not only infections but hospitalizations and you know pray to the heavens this is not the case but deaths if we got into another situation similar to last season where you just felt like empathy needed to be the calling card and not just you're you're gonna forfeit because essentially you didn't have enough players vaccinated. Uh, but but barring that, I, th- I think that is going to be the course that the league takes. I think you're right. And, and we talked it in Charlotte about this, but maybe a little bit of an advantage to UVA and Tech where both schools uh, took the pressure off the coaches and athletic mm-hmm. directors and said, hey, this is our policy for our students. You need to be vaccinated before you come back. Um, that really, I think, helped Justin Fuente and Bronco Mendenhall. And, and maybe it does put Tech and UVA at a little bit of a, a competitive advantage there. I, I believe it does. Now, and, and, and Tech and UVA, Mike, are among six of... Uh, 14 ACC football playing schools uh, where the institution, with the exceptions of medical and religious waivers, are requiring students to, to be vaccinated. And that would be Virginia, Virginia Tech, Boston College, Syracuse, Duke, and Wake Forest. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And I think, you know, we're all in the same boat of just rooting really hard that none of these variants kind of jump that vaccine and that, um, Vaccination remains the key uh, to keeping these teams healthy, healthy enough to play, to, to play safely. And boy, it's going to be fun, assuming that we can get to it and get through it. But thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next time.